0: What made Vincent Van Gogh one of the greatest painters and most tortured souls of all time? Was Harry Houdini predestined to become the great escape artist based on his family's great escape? I'm Dr. Gail Saltz, and on my new podcast, Personology, I'll be joined by amazing experts to delve into the minds of famous historical figures. If you want to know what really made exceptional people tick, then take a listen to Personology. Listen to Personology every Monday on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: everybody. Welcome to Movie Crush. This is Chuck Bryant here at the home studio, Atlanta, Georgia, Pont City Market. And today, uh, I've got Dave Willis in the studio. And Dave is my first first local Atlanta guest. Uh, You might know Dave's work. Well, I hope you know Dave's work because it's pretty great. He got his start uh, many years ago at the the Cartoon Network. Uh, I think maybe the first thing he worked on was Space Ghost, Coast to Coast. Uh, If I'm not mistaken, he is also the creator of Squidbillies and Aquatine Hunger Force and was the voice of Wad. So Dave has uh, made his name in, in that world for the most part and uh, is also the uh, director and creator and writer of Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell TV series. is very funny. Dave is the best. He's, uh, like I said, local Atlanta and we're about the same age. So we sort of grew up in the same, uh, although a different suburb, um, sort of in the same world in many ways. So I was excited to get Dave in here. We've known each other for a few years. I think the first time I met Dave, we had a, a trivia night here in Atlanta and just hit him up as a, as a celebrity guest. And he was kind enough to come. And since then, we've uh, become pals. And uh, Dave was here to talk about Bottle Rocket, one of my favorite movies. So I was really excited to get him in here. And we had a great conversation and uh, for those of you who have not seen Bottle Rocket, it is the first movie from Wes Anderson, uh, co-written by Owen Wilson and Wes Anderson, and the first the movie debut of Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson, uh, and also Andrew Wilson, um, also starring James Caan, uh, among uh, some other Wes Anderson staple character actors that you've seen in his movies. And it is the story of uh, two friends, really three friends, but mainly uh, two friends, Dignan and Anthony. They're sort of man-children. The movie opens with Anthony getting out of a mental hospital, and Dignan has big plans for them to pull off some heists. And so it's it's a bit of a heist movie, a bit of a crime movie, but only in the way that Wes Anderson can do a uh, crime movie. Uh, Very funny. Um, You could see the seeds of what was to come from Wes Anderson, but this movie stands on its own to me, Uh, one of my all-time faves. So here we go with the great Dave Willis, and Bottle Rocket. So you grew up in Conyers, and went to. I grew up in. Well, it had a Stone Mountain address, but it was sort of. Did you go to Redan, or? Yeah, I went to Redan, but I was right on that Lithonia Redan border, so I was more kind of toward Conyers. But yeah, sort of Bonoma east. Road. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, kind of east out there. Yeah, yeah. No, I was, I was out. We went to Heritage High School, right? So. Class of '88, go Pat's. Yeah, I was '89. So, what yeah. was your
1: hang like? How did movies figure in to your early
2: life? What was your, what was your theater? Uh, it would be originally it was the Salem Gate, uh, which then became one of those sort of weird churches. That mall is still oh, in yeah. just complete disrepair, but uh, but yeah, after after a while, it was right across from the Putt Putt. Uh huh. And uh <laughs> and, yeah, I mean between those two places and then next to Duval's skating rink. So I mean oh wow, we you're talking life, about man. a real power corner there. Yeah. Uh, uh but uh yeah, Salem Salem Gate became one of those sort of uh, Pentecostal churches uh-huh. when we got the uh cinema eight. Uh huh. And um I guess I was about a I still remember um uh the opening Weekend. I think I saw all those movies the opening weekend of that theater. That was an exciting uh, Octopussy. Oh yeah. Um, there was some Peter Strauss movie that was 3D with Molly Ringwald. Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. Oh man, I don't know that one. Uh, it's it, it's got a dumb title at the head. I want to say Ghost Hunter or Mind Hunter or uh-huh. something, but Adventures in the Forbidden Zone. Yeah. There was a. It was a Superman sequel. It might have been the Richard Pryor one. War Games? No? No. Red Dawn? Uh, I mean, I definitely saw both of those in the theater, but I don't think either one of those were out that weekend. Right. But yeah, I so I ended up eventually working at Turtles, uh, Turtles Records and Tapes, which was right next to the theater. Man. And my good friend uh, from high school, David Jackson, worked at the theater. Uh-huh. Jim Fortier, who I now make uh squid billies with work there we uh at turtles or no the he worked at uh he worked at the theater as yeah. well um a bunch of guys i knew worked there so then when they would shut down for the night we would go and uh occasionally play laser tag in uh-huh. the theaters oh nice which was great until we discovered that one of the kids put a contact lens in his laser gun and uh that's how it sprayed his laser. Oh, really? So we were like, he is an uncanny shot. Wow. <laughs> and, and he that's a I'm, cool not, I'm not I'm not going to drop his name. I'm not going to give him credit here <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> because he's, he I remember him as a very competitive person and uh-huh. the fact that he would do that just still to this day kind of kind of infuriates me. <laughs> yeah. And that was pre like diso- disposable contact, so Did uh, he actually I- sacrificed the lens. Well, his parents <laughs> had some money, so you know I'm sure he could have probably uh, talked his way into some more lenses. But that's funny, man. You
1: can't like just mentioning turtles, records, and tapes sends a flood of uh, nostalgia
2: over oh, my body. I know. I I loved. Such I was equally store. passionate about music, and yeah, when same. I got that job, I just thought I had. Yeah, that that was like my dream gig. Oh yeah, and it was like right around Bon Jovi's, like huge i just remember you remember those dumb displays where you get all the the posters and flats Uh and try to curl them in different ways and the record company would would give you like an extra they give you like a free dvd for Uh like whoever wins the contest (laughs) for the most inventive way to curl your flat yeah and we had a whole wall of uh slippery when wet Uh during the holidays uh bon jovi's uh like that's their big album, and sure. I just remember in my mind, becoming a music and aficionado and and reading and thinking, people come to the record store knowing not knowing what they want, and they might want my guidance, they right. might want me to turn them on to something new <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And so I'd meet them at the front and and they and I could see on the look on their face, you know I just go Sli- slippery wind wets over there right <laughs> you know, there's a whole wall of it. <laughs> I was like, can I interest you in the new Jason and the Scorchers? Where's the where's yeah. that Bon Jovi thing? What <laughs> won't a dead or alive? Um Double Stamp Wednesdays. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That that's, was the big thing. That's true. That's when people used to have to camp out for concerts. Yeah, I totally it
1: mine was at um the Redan Road one and uh I would jeez man, I camped out for so many shows.
2: Yeah, well I used to I would work it, so it'd be an early morning, you know, and you'd pull tickets. Uh-huh. I remember just Clearing the whole crowd for the first two shows of R.E.M. at the Fox, and then they announce a third show, like, right when I sold the last ticket. Yeah. So it was like, uh-huh. it was all mine. Yeah. And I got an orchestra pit.
1: It was great. That's still, to me, the most fair way tickets have ever been sold was, and that was even pre, pre-lottery. pre Like, for a while there, it was just, if you showed up, you got your place in line, and you if you wanted to come two days early, that was your deal. Mm-hmm. But then later on, you could show up and then have to draw the lottery number and that's when it just started kind of becoming more and more unfair
2: the story i'm 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 not 100% on it and i'm not going to drop the name on it um <laughs> either but um there were some guys in our uh that we went to school with that were a little sketchy and there was one guy he used to put like bleach in his uh, uh windshield washer and turn him outside and he'd just pull up to people and spray <laughs> their cars <laughs> Or their person. Uhhuh. And, and those guys would flip tickets and, and sell blow pops at school for a markup and stuff right. like that. Yeah, but they, I know those dudes. They had a, they, there was a, I can't remember what show it was, but it was one of those camp out deals. And right before the the doors open, they pushed a flaming uh, grocery cart full of uh, creative loafs <laughs> on fire. <laughs> Into the crowd, <laughs> crowd scattered wow. just enough where one of their uh, proxies uh-huh. could slip in. <laughs> Holy cow! Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. I was not there, but uh-huh. I heard. I've heard the story from numerous people. That so, sounds like yes. something out of a, a Richard Linklater movie. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's a pretty good move though.
2: Yeah. Well, I risky certainly. Yeah. Some some police could potentially get involved but it paid off for them right because they how'd you get eighth (laughs) road a white snake at the omni
1: yeah that's pretty funny i used to usher shows too which is amazing now that i look back that they would let a 15 year old and i looked like i was 12 um usher shows at the omni and the fox wow i would just show up with my smart move it was great i saw saw so many
2: shows that way that's incredible yeah. I, mean, I didn't I didn't it was not yeah, I was not turned on to that. That's all that's a well, you know, you have a friend that's like, Oh dude, this is the ticket. Yeah. You show up with your black tie
1: and a flashlight and you can usher, and it was basically that easy. Wow. There was no application or it wasn't a job. You would just show up with a friend who had recommended you and they're like, All right, you're section three twelve.
2: That's amazing. That's incredible. Yeah,
1: it was pretty neat. Yeah. Uh so back to the movies. Um you Salem Gate was your,
2: your jam. Initially that was the only option and then um then that uh I want to call it Carmike but it was uh-huh. that uh that uh 8 we got an 8 movie theater right set up and uh yeah and that was that was my early uh that was my early movie going experience pretty much there Yeah I was I
1: was mainly around Memorial Drive or uh, Northlake Mall Yeah Memorial Drive yeah mm-hmm. Cuz Northlake had the not the Dollar Theater which was a big part of mine Right
2: up. right uh there was a there was a drive there was a drive through at my mom's uh with the town my mom grew up in uh in uh west texas uh-huh. which it bums me out that my kids uh my kids have i've gotten to you know we go to the drive through occasionally on moreland but uh, yeah those were always very very memorable yeah i
1: think my first um i know one of my earliest movie memories was seeing a uh, double feature of uh, Blazing Saddles, and I was too. It was basically like take the kids along. They didn't take me to see Blazing Saddles when right. I was five, right? But I remember seeing the horse get punched out and kind of falling asleep, and it was a double feature with something else. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, those were when you tune it in on the radio. That's
2: the way to do it when you when you've got. A actually, little... they had the speaker back then. Yeah, when you well, when you've got a kid, you know, we we'll, we still go to the one occasionally on Moreland, but uh-huh. when, when our kids were. We're very young, you know. That's how we saw The Dark Knight, or at least the first 17 minutes of it. (laughs) Until Max just flipped out. Right. And then we're like, all right, maybe time to call it a night. Remember when they used to make movies for
1: adults? Like, just regular movies, and I know everyone kind of complains these days about all the the reboots and remakes and Mm -hmm. the, the comic book movies, but it really has eaten up so much of the content that there aren't those movies like The Verdict, or Heaven Can Wait, or uh, The China Syndrome. You know, just they used to make just regular a lot of more dramas. Uh, I guess Heaven Can Wait's more of a comedy, but you know, what I, I'm I actually
2: just watched The Verdict uh, uh, less than a year ago. Yeah, me too. You know, Such just a good just, movie. Yeah, it is a great movie. It looks great. We were doing. Um, the show I make your pretty faces going to hell. Um, uh-huh. We were doing a courtroom drama, and I was just sort of stocking up on classic courtroom right. dramas. That's I just wanted to one. just to rip off some cool angles. There's uh-huh. this, there's one whole like two minute long take that is a super wide shot. Just a super wide. I mean, Paul Newman's an ant in this shot. Yeah, I think. Uh, and I was just like, that's so um, interesting. Uh-huh. You know that they would choose to do it that way. Back in the days of. Film where you're, you know, you're making those choices on the set. You're not just running, like, three cameras and right. just getting coverage for an yeah. editor to piece together. Uh, it was such an interesting uh, choice. Uh-huh. So I did do one massive, wide, long take of, of the scene just to sort of see... How'd it play? Would it work? Uh, I'm editing it right now, so uh-huh. I don't I don't know. But um, your little tribute to the verdict, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean Sydney St- uh, Sydney Lumet. I mean, we, you read that book of his making movies, and it's just yeah amazing. Um, and I think that was a David Mamet uh, script too. You know, and uh-huh. I always respond to his stuff, not his oh, politics yeah. certainly, but his right. his uh, his writing is so just uh, just uh, forceful, uh-huh. you know. And uh, I. I love his movies. They're so stiff and weird, but but yeah, uh, but I love them. Yeah, yeah, heist. Heist is another one. That's one, like I, if I see it on cable, I can't um, I can't not watch it. Yeah, and it's because Gene Hackman turns it into. Gene Hackman takes his dialogue, uh, takes his lines, and just he just owns them. Yeah, man, I miss Gene Hackman. Yeah, I do too. His wife. Um, Rebecca Pigeon is terrible, the most wooden actress. And she's like got this major role in it. And you're like, so it's a, it's a, it's tricky. It's not a great movie, but it's Uh, like just one of those where I'll just, I'll watch it. I'll watch it every time I see it.
1: She is kind of stiff, but for some reason she worked in state and
2: Maine, I thought. I Uh, liked
1: liked her character. Yeah.
2: You know? Yeah. I I think uh, if you read his books on movies, his books sort of put the actor second in a way that he's like you don't he's the star of the show a bit well he's like you don't like you don't pick up a book thoughtfully Uh uh-huh the actor just picks up the damn book right the the direction is pick up the damn book yeah it's not you don't pick it up thoughtfully you don't pick it up wistfully you don't pick it up with uh you know with memories of your dead wife lingering Uh he's like just pick up the damn book yeah open the door you read his scripts and they're like that's how the stage directions read.
1: Yeah, when I I used to I think all beginning screenwriters probably pepper it with way too much of that stuff. Sure. And as I wrote I just stripped everything out. It's just sorted to that basic level where you don't need to tell an actor what they're thinking while they're right shaking
2: the salt. Yeah, yeah, you know? true true, but it's but I don't I find it very interesting that you've got I think you got stiff performances throughout most of his movies, yeah. and Gene Hackman is the exception. He kind of comes in, and I can imagine him probably going, uh, I can't big boy Gene Hackman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I think that's why I responded to it, um, but whatever, whatever. I, I would have felt like a bozo picking heist for this thing. but
1: Oh, I don't think so. You, well, really? Yeah. yeah. You'd be surprised. Hodgman picked the Avengers, for God's sake.
0: (laughs) Here's the thing. Saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock. He constantly bricks threes. And he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With Geico, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports.
1: Hey, it's Ben, Henry, and Marcus, hosts of the last podcast
2: on the left. Our show's dedicated to uncovering hilariously horrifying stuff.
1: And
0: now we're only on Spotify. Join us. If you want. Obviously, we'd never force anyone to just blindly join us. That'd be crazy. But if you like stories about doomsday cults who do exactly that and more, please join us on
1: Spotify. Visit Spotify.com slash last podcast to listen free. All right, so we'll go ahead and get into Bottle Rocket. Uh, I did a little preset up here before we recorded, but 1996, uh, obviously Wes Anderson's first movie. Yeah. Uh, the Wilson Brothers' first movie. Yep, um, written by Owen and Wes mm-hmm. uh, back when they were writing movies together, and I, I love all of Wes Anderson's movies, but I do think that I do think that since Owen quit writing with them, they've lost a little bit of heart. No doubt, uh, and I think
2: that's been a bit of a missing <laughs> element uh, for me. I would totally agree with that. I I um I don't know, it's tricky. Everything I've ever done, you, I've worked in a partnership with somebody, and uh-huh. you, you hate you hate it when critics or when people ascribe um, something to one that isn't the other. It's I yeah. think it's far more nuanced like that, and in some ways, a partner is playing to another partner's strengths uh-huh. or what appeals to them. I mean, you, I mean, you probably find that in your podcast uh, with Josh. You know, I mean, yeah, I sure. think there's so. Uh, there's some magic to a combination of two people. Um, and I thought, like, uh, Life Aquatic, that might have been the first one that he did without Owen Wilson I on the so. byline. Yeah. And so. it was Noah Bombach, who I'm like, I love everything that guy does yeah, too. Same here. Love it. Uh-huh. And I'm sitting there going, This is a dream team. Mm-hmm. And um, and I really like Hey, everything Wes Anderson does, I I love to a certain degree, but I don't think anything has really touched me like Bottle Rocket and like Rushmore. Yeah, um, Tannenbaum's those for me two, too. those first three. Up were to just, a point uh, on Tannenbaum's, yeah. I think I lost the thread after a while, but um, and yeah, I think about it, and you were like, well, uh, you know, Owen Wilson's probably knocking back. <laughs> million to just show up at the call time. Yeah. You know, and it's hard work. It's hard to write a script. It is. hard to, it's, 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 it's some heavy, heavy, uh, road work and, and, uh, you know, and, and people get tired of each other and, you know, I mean, maybe that, who who knows, who knows why, but, uh, but I completely agree with that.
1: Yeah. I'd love to see them hook back up for a script. Yeah. I don't know if that'll ever happen, but, um, what was your, I remember my first experience with this movie was, um. I have an older brother, three years older, and do you have any older siblings? Yeah, my, my sister, Elise, is three years older. Was that an influence as far as feeding you culture, or were you kind of on your own?
2: Some in the teens, you know, with music, but I was kind of, I was seeking it out. Yeah. I was looking hard. Yeah. Everywhere for something different. Right. You know, so, um, you know. So uh, not as much. Like,
1: my brother was really. kind of... Uh, Kind of influential, like he's the one that said, You gotta because when you're three years older, he's in college first. College is when you get right, you know, your tastes really start to expand. Sure. So I was in high school and he was saying, You gotta see this movie Blue Velvet and you gotta you gotta start watching Conan O'Brien and stuff mm, like that. Right. And before that it was Letterman. Right. Um but I remember he called me up and said, Bottle rocket, he went, Go see it. It's in at the I think it was at the Terra in Atlanta and he said, Just go and uh call me afterward and that was it and uh, mm. that that was how i was introduced to wes anderson's world yeah but um do you remember your
2: first experience with the movie i i uh i never do this and i watched it twice in a week and oh, i might have nice. been at the terra as well uh-huh. but uh i loved it so much that first time that i found a way to Yeah. Go and watch it again. I don't ever do that. Yeah. Like I was raised almost not to do that. Yeah. My (laughs) dad, my dad's a pilot. He's very efficient. He's like, you've seen it once. Why would you ever want to see it again? (laughs) Right. You know, and, and, uh, and I, uh, but I just responded to it. You know, it's like I wanted to be those guys. So it was, I think it was more than just, um, more than just watching a movie and being touched by it, but uh-huh. you you just resonated with you those guys. Yeah, for sure. I think
1: especially like dudes around our age, uh, growing up in sort of suburban areas. Yeah, uh, this was those dudes, and and watching it again this morning, I mean, I've seen it at least a dozen times mm-hmm. or more. Um, but watching it this morning, I was kind of struck by like, Rushmore is sort of kids acting like adults. Uh, all those kids sort of doing these adult things. And I realized watching Bottle Rocket today is they were adults acting like kids
2: acting like adults. <laughs> I had that same thing. I had that same same thought. And I think that's, you see that in a lot of Wes Anderson stuff. Oh, yeah. Pre- precocious kids acting like adults and uh-huh. adults acting like children. Yeah. and uh, Well, Bill Murray, for
1: sure. I mean, that's they were best friends in that movie.
2: I mean, there's a whole scene in that where that's underlined, where he's like, uh, you know, the Anthony, Luke Wilson character is saying, uh, is talking about his, uh, younger sister saying, uh huh, like, how did Grace get so cynical? <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, and Dignan, the Owen Wilson character is like, what has she ever done with her <laughs> life, man? <laughs> Such, <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite lines in the movie. You know, and she, so and, great. and she said, and I think Grace earlier had told, the uh, uh, Anthony, like, he said he was exhausted exhausted uh-huh. or I was in that place for exhaustion yeah. and she's like uh you it's like w- like what have you done to be tired? Yeah, like, you <laughs> never worked a like day that. in your life. Right. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah, they, I mean there were definitely peers, you know, he was a peer of his little sister. And you know that's exactly why, you know, they put such a younger sister in the movie was just sort to sort of level set everyone. Mm-hmm. And you get the idea too that these uh that Dignan and uh and Anthony and I guess Bob too were they had been doing this stuff since they were ten years old, probably playing crime and playing like they were thieve master thieves that's interesting, and uh then they are still sort of playing crime when they're doing the crimes,
2: yeah, yeah they uh well, there's all sorts of stuff i mean they're you know they're play they're playing pinball or you know you look at their notebook i mean that's a classic yeah. thing where <laughs> I actually when I watched it this weekend I I I had never done this but I freeze framed the notebook. I did too this morning. It was so great some of the stuff in there I had not even taken uh taken into consideration. I wrote some of those down. <laughs> did you write them down? I wrote some of them down. Uh 25 th- and this is uh, for
1: those of you listening this is at the beginning of the movie when uh and it's a very became sort of a Wes Anderson thing the lists mm-hmm. that he would make in his movies the characters would make. Uh, uh but it's the the 5 year plan, the 10 year plan, then 25 years, 50 years out. uh and some of them some of my favorite bits from that were uh at 25 years, when possible meet people from foreign countries, find ways to develop properties.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, of course and then he resents it when uh when he hooks up with Inez. Uh-huh. You know, and they mentioned yeah. <laughs> that la- they mentioned that later like learn Learn a foreign language. I I didn't, and I feel like yeah. I paid a price.
1: Uh, and the other one that killed me from the list was on the, the final page, Living into the 21st Century. Under Consider Alternatives, he has uh, college, higher degrees,
2: and then honorary degrees. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. Like that's something anyone can plan for is an honorary degree. The one I really responded to is now, you know, now that I have wife and kids, like you know how much that is a part of your life, but it's, almost an afterthought on the list it Uh just says wife and family very crucial (laughs) 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 and then it just blazes through talking about all the degrees they're gonna earn yeah uh yeah it's so funny yeah and they quote Huey Long like life is about opportunities Uh you make or something but I also just you think about that as, as a kid or you're starting in a creative field or you just don't know how to do it and I'm sure that you responded to this when you were out in L.A. and working in an art department and going, how do I get to be the guy that sells the script? Right. And, you know, and sometimes you spend your time dicking off, you know, writing a notebook of Uh what the plan is. Right. Rather than actually (laughs) focusing on the plan. Yeah, I've definitely had lists in my life that the number
1: one item was make list. Yeah. Just so I could cross it off.
2: Right, right. Uh,
1: But I love how the tone in this movie was immediately set with that first um, first sequence when – Uh, You know, Dignan can't just go pick up Anthony from the, the, I guess it's some sort of mental hospital. Yeah. He has to pretend like he's busting him out. Right. And Anthony knows, like, he knows he has this friend, this sort of special needs, Mm -hmm. and that I have to play along with this guy. Yeah. To the doctor, you know, and he he lets him do so.
2: I think, I wonder if that was added after the fact. Did you ever see that black and white version of Bottle Rocket?
1: And I know that they rewrote the beginning of the movie, so I'm not sure... How, I mean, it may have just started with the walk and talk before they uh, break into Anthony's house.
2: It's very interesting, though, too. They add this little, this is stupid, but it always sticks out when Dignam pops out of the bush. They add this, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like this cartoonish, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which doesn't seem <laughs> as consistent with the rest of the Wes Anderson universe. No, not but, at all. But, I always um, thought that was a little strange, too. Yeah, but it was, but it's great. It's great. Um, uh, yeah, I yeah I thought I I think some of the things that set the tone too are just, um you know you look at that you look at that uh thirteen minute version, uh-huh. and there are some scenes that are almost oh yeah intact that whole scene with the gun, uh-huh. but you know they just didn't quite figure it out. They're a few years younger, you know the yeah. both the characters, they weren't. It's not like they were darker, but they didn't have sort of that. They were less vulnerable in the black and white thing. They didn't mm-hmm. have as much of the sweetness and the silliness. And in the ensuing years, they must have figured it out. because yeah. Owen Wilson is just pitch perfect in that oh, movie. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Dignan is
1: uh, just one of the great characters. Just a great played. name for a character. Yeah. I don't even know where they got that. <laughs> it's a friend, actually. Here I have some trivia stuff in here. Might as well go ahead and lay into that one. That was um, the DJ at the end of uh, Rushmore at the, the post-play dance was is Stephen Dignan, who was one of Wes Anderson's real friends. Oh, that's great. And that's where he got the name. Was that the guy with, like, the long braids? Or... Yeah. All right. Yeah, totally. Uh, and, of course, uh, Kumar makes his first appearance in Bottle Rocket, and his son, in real life, is the, the bookstore guy
2: and also the math teacher from Rushmore. I. Yep. All right. That's great. That's great. I lost the touch, man. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you lost the touch because you never had it in the first place. It's <laughs> good Owen Wilson. Nice. Uh,
1: but there's so many little moments that, um, like, the, the Wes Anderson stuff is all there. People think, like, and some people will even say, like, oh, Rushmore is really his first movie. But that's not true at all. Like, if you watch Bottle Rocket, all the hallmarks are there just on a sort of a little more indie feel level.
2: Yeah, I— yeah, it's interesting. There's not as many like sort of centered, placed close-ups. Yeah, I mean, there's a little, and you even see you go back with the black and white thing. It's even looser. Uh-huh. You know, he's I guess he's still trying to figure it out. There's it a felt great like a film school type of thing, you know. It's a great. Um, uh, is, uh, my my co-creator on your preface is going to hell. Chris Kelly uh, told me this story where. James L. Brooks, who made Bottle Rocket happen, right. basically, and found the money and did it through Gracie Films. Uh, had the Wes Anderson did this shot of a coffee cup and uh-huh. just centered it, yeah. you know, centered it like a classic sort of Wes Anderson thing. And uh, apparently James Brooks saw the dailies and was like, there better be poison in that cup, <laughs> like, like for, for it to, you know, like well, for funny. you to do that to uh-huh. it. There was another one. That there's a line uh, in the movie uh, that um, he did this master shot, where this I guess this cowboy is prominently counting change. My friend was just telling me about this this morning, but uh, the master shot is like uh, James Brooks see, sees it and is like none of the stars are really uh-huh. prominently figured in this frame, and he's just and he said, "Why'd you do it, man?" And they use that in the show in the movie. Oh, really? But, like – Why'd you do it, man? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I mean, he had confidence, you know. He like Polly Platt. They said she'd be like, "I want to see a cutaway of Dignan's point of view of the car gone in the parking lot." Uh-huh. Or I want to, s- you know. And that's the classic director trick. Well, they can't cut it. In- they can't force you to cut it in if right. you don't shoot it. Yeah. There's that whole shot of Kumar going up in the elevator, and uh-huh. I'm sitting there going. You can get coverage for a reason. He wanted this. He wanted to stay with Kumar in the elevator while uh, Dignan is running up the stairs in the background. Yeah,
1: yeah, which is great. Yeah, it's a great shot. Um, Yeah, I mean, all the all the hallmarks are kind of there, but they're um, like you definitely got the sense that he didn't have the kind of dough to play with these the big grand sets and all the different insert shots of the close ups of the keys and the things. But there, it's peppered throughout. Like Mm -hmm. it's it's sort of the. You get a sense of like the filmmaker he would become yeah. with Rushmore.
2: That stuff takes time. It takes money. I mean, they, they did, uh, you know, the music. I mean, uh-huh. it's Mark Mothersbaugh, but throughout, but there's not a whole lot of, uh, you know, license. And that that stuff costs a lot of money, you know. And yeah. Rushmore, you yeah, had probably a little more, more to play with. And yeah. I think there were a couple of love tracks, and I always responded to that. Um, that Rolling Stones song at the end. <sighs> Such a great music cue. It is. 000, man. It is. It's from an album that's not, you know, I don't think is very good as a Stones album, and I'm a big Stones fan. but um, He probably got it on the cheap, I imagine. It's a more obscure song, for sure. Possibly. And, uh, uh, But I thought about it, too, in watching it, and, you know, with Rushmore, too. It's like, you know, he uses the music as... It's just they're emotional and intuitive, and it has nothing. They're not so on the nose lyrically. Right. I mean, he had O Yoko in uh, yeah. Rushmore. And, uh-huh. I mean, it's very. Had nothing to do with anything on screen. Yeah, and for me, as a Stones fan, I, it's shocking how little I knew about the Kinks. Right. <laughs> he Like the whole Wes Anderson got me into just finding all those Kinks out. albums. Yeah. I love the Kinks. Yeah. It's good stuff.
0: Hey, I'm Joe Levy, and on the latest episode of Inside the Studio, I sat down with one of the all-time great singer-songwriters, James Taylor. We talked about his new album, where his music comes from, and how telling his life story through his songs has helped him.
1: Music saved my life, but I was lucky also to survive. I did some very stupid, some some years
0: that were were just really high risk, unnecessarily so. And a lot of people around us died, you know. So join me, Joe Levy, Editor-at-Large at at Billboard, for this and other in-depth conversations with the biggest artists in music. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get podcasts.
1: One of my favorite uh, little moments... Again, very Wes Anderson, and it says a lot about what's going on, is when they break when they break into Anthony's house at the beginning, and they're rifling through everything. And you, at this point in the movie, you don't know that that's Anthony's house mm-hmm. until afterward, when mm-hmm. Owen Wilson drops that he had stole the mom's earrings. But uh, he leans down at the, the toy soldiers, and there's one toy soldier that's askew that he turns and straightens. Yeah. And then, of course, later on, you— you're like, oh, well, that was that was his toy soldier collection when he was a kid. Yeah. And one of them was off, and he had to correct it. But yeah. It was just a nice little character touch. Right. And just those little Wes Anderson moments that he puts in there. Uh, I don't know. They just enriched the whole thing, you know?
2: It was interesting. You watch that black and white one, and it's like they shot in the same house. They shot uh-huh. – some of the shots are identical four years yeah. later. Yeah. I yeah. mean, identical. Uh-huh. You know? And, uh, and then – of course, the conversation after, like, that was on the list of things that Dignan yeah. <laughs> does not touch. <laughs> yeah. And, and Dignan's reply is like, you know, everything,
1: everything valuable in the house is on that list, man.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I think my, my favorite, certainly, I think my favorite moment or is like, and it just sort of spells it out is, uh, you know, when they're, they, they, they stole the car and then they're off, off the side of the road, they can't start the car. Uh huh. And, um, Dignan finds out that Anthony gave uh, Inez the housekeeper that yeah. he's fallen in love with all the money and he does he freaks out and he's like you don't fall in love <laughs> with the help and then he's like she's not the help you know her, her name's Inez and uh he goes and I'm Dignan man <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like it's like I'm your friend not uh-huh. this girl and you know but but just just the way he said it, and the way uh-huh. the line is, is like, yeah, that's, that's who he is. He can't get respect, and yeah. he and he's and he uh, he's feels like he's getting betrayed. Is like, who's running this operation? It's like he's supposed to be, but he's not. And right. his friend is almost along with him just because, because he's his friend, and he'll do it that's even exactly though it doesn't that. make him that comfortable. Yeah,
1: know? yeah. And the end is so great too when, um, what you were just talking about, like he, Owen Wilson takes. Like he has to take the fall for these guys at the end when when the when the big uh, breaking scene. Let of, me let me have this. Yeah, you know he let me wants have this, it, man. He, he wants, wants to be well because it validates him. <laughs> yeah, like when he that shot when he's getting uh, beat down by the cops at the end. Oh. you see, like he's almost satisfied with what's going on because he's finally like a real crook, mm-hmm. and he goes yeah. to prison, man, and like no one can argue with him from now on. Like he did the time, yeah. he got pinched. He didn't rat out his friends. Yep, yep, yep. And uh, so it like validated his whole, like uh, I guess you call it career, but his life choices up to
2: that point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And was really sweet. Well, yeah, it was, and it was very interesting to me. To I think, I wonder if, if I responded to it also just on a personal level, where Mm -hmm. it's just like I was in my mid twenties when that movie hit. You know, I was just starting to work at Cartoon Network. I was just starting to try to figure out what it is I was going to do with the rest of my life. You know, I was dating girls but hadn't really found the right one yet. You're you're just right. You're stuck in the middle there. Mm -hmm. And, um, And so much of the media and everything was sort of Directing everyone towards this slacker vibe. I think they call I, I looked at the cover of the DVD, it called it Reservoir Geeks. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, lazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But also it just wasn't um it wasn't really a slacker movie. Like there's no right. sort of there's no sort of uh long, windy, slightly humorous uh pop culture breakdowns. It's uh-huh. like as soon as Tarantino did that Royale with Cheese. It's like every movie, yeah, had that obligatory thing for sure. I think they had some little Starsky and Hutch little thing in the original that they didn't have, and yeah, I was like, short. I'm so glad they didn't have it. Uh-huh. You know, it was. I mean, they these guys wanted to do things. They had yeah. big dreams. You know, mm-hmm. they weren't just sort of lazy living at home. You know, yeah, there was always a plan. You didn't see any parents. And no, you know that. What's interesting is like now that I've have worked in cartoons a lot, is on the kids' side of things, they, they sometimes talk about how the at least one development executive has told me, you know, the parents aren't important. Like kids want to feel uh, like uh, they have a, a hero, someone that uh-huh. they can, uh, someone that's self-sufficient, That's the parents right. are not. Um, and you'll find that with some kids' cartoons. and And yeah, the parents aren't in the picture, even though he rips off the... The earrings, you don't know yeah. really anything about where he came from. Or, well, and most you know.
1: famously, Charlie Brown, of course. You know, they yeah. purposely obfuscated the parents. And yeah, it's probably no secret or uh, no uh, coincidence that
2: uh, Wes Anderson uses a lot of the Charlie Brown music in his movies. Yeah. Yep, that's true. That's true. I think it's interesting, too. You know, you talk about kids wanting to be adults and adults wanting to be kids. And, yeah, I mean, those guys probably are that. You know, they probably were that. They were all living together and— Hollywood, you know. Oh, yeah. There sure. was a, I mean, Jim Brooks had theorized that they were stretching out the rewrite process so that you could live on their per diem. Right. <laughs> that Owen Wilson was living out of that office. Uh-huh. And then you think about Wes Anderson, you know, as a teenager with a notebook, a spiral-bound notebook full of Pauline Kael yeah. articles. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just, <laughs> like, isn't he, Mac? I mean, that's Max Fisher, isn't it, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yes. yeah. It's just, it's just they just tapped into a, a voice that I just really responded to, you know.
1: Yeah, same here. And um, we got to talk about James Conn for a second. He's he's introduced as Mr. Henry, and after a lot of talk and build up, in the third act, he doesn't appear till the third act. And that third act is so great. Once it's almost like two movies, you know. There's that whole mm-hmm. first bit, and then the the last act is the um, Mr. Henry's introduced and the 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 planning of the. Like, he's the big crime boss. Right. <laughs> Who is really the head of a, a lawn mowing uh, service. Right. But uh, you do get the sense that he's a legit guy. Like, one of the great moments of the movie is when he stands down future man, <laughs> uh, Andrew Wilson, in the country club. John Maplethorpe, Yeah. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's a little victorious moment for the, that group of misfits, those weirdos, when James Conn, you know, twists his arm up. And then they finally have their
2: moment to sort of laugh at the bully together. Well, Bob Maplethorpe, like he's talking to the waiter, uh, I think his name's Jackson, right? And yeah, yeah. You, you, can see that, you can see in their conversation that Bob's been going to that country club for 20 years, oh, getting yeah. grilled cheese with the <laughs> crust <laughs> cut off. And then as soon as Jackson sees future man walking up, he's like, I'll see you, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> he zips out of there. Uh-huh. And then, you know, uh, and and the uh, uh future man yeah yeah he stands up he stands up for for him but i i love that future man character they don't yeah. say why his name's future know, man it's so random. It, it's but it's like you think about it like going to going to college in the south and you saw these you saw there are plenty of future mans with their uh-huh. mirrored dea shades yep. and their duck head uh, slacks for and, sure man and uh what the fuck is this yeah like pulling out one leaf <laughs> out of the, one leaf, you know or like you look like a little banana yeah <laughs> well, that, yeah that's one of my favorite scenes
1: when first of all the, the honda trail 70 or whatever when that pulls up on the scene i don't know if you remember that mini bike or had a friend that had one of those. Oh yeah, yeah. But just such an iconic like seventies, eighties mini bike. Yeah. And Owen Wilson pulls up in that jumpsuit, and then the the two guys making fun of him, uh, Future Man and his little crony pal. Yeah, he <laughs>
2: looked like a little banana.
1: And again, it's like, it's they were in their twenties, but they might as well have been twelve years old. Yeah. And Future Man seventeen. Yes. And uh, Owen, one of the great lines is uh, after he pulls in, and Owen Wilson is clearly wounded and he goes i'm not as always confident as i look <laughs> to anthony wearing that yellow jumpsuit it's just hysterical you know
2: yeah and anthony's like i'll uh, you know you got to get me one of those jumpsuits it's like he doesn't care but yeah. he knows it he knows dignan loves it uh he's I'll, such a
1: good friend to him <laughs> well the other thing i liked was um well, well the great love story with inez was just really sweet and touching but um that actress she's you know apparently big in uh in like mexican cinema and stuff but i haven't seen her in a lot of stuff at all aside from this. So Inez sort of exists in this movie to me as a real person yeah. in a way yeah. because they didn't cast, I don't know who would have been, you know, right. the Latino actress from back then. But, right. you know, she was unknown and she was just had such a sweet face and their relationship. It's all, it's all that childlike stuff yeah. in the Wes Anderson movies. I mean, they hinted that they, you know, made love, you know, when they ran into the hotel room, but. I think as far as it got was like he unbuttoned the top of her shirt and then they threw the sheets over themselves. Yeah, it was
2: very innocent. Like it wouldn't have been like if, what if Anthony pulled up a sleeve and you'd have seen like some, some, like killing, (laughs) some attempt at his life or something. I was like, oh, it had taken on a completely different flavor. Yeah. It was just exhaustion, you know? Uh, And of course, at the end, they they pull off the
1: heist, but uh, they were um, duped the whole time by Mr. Henry. Right. who, um, Who was ripping off Bob's house. And even at the very end, when um, they go to visit uh, Dignan in prison, and Dignan learns that th- that it was all sort of a ruse, he's still a little bit naive. Like, do you think, like, do you think Applejack was in on this? Do you think this was part of, like, <laughs> of course it was the whole plan the whole time? Yeah. And he very sweetly, when he gives him the belt buckles, say, you know, I made some for Applejack and the guys, but forget that. But he's like, well, you know what. Just go ahead and
2: give it. Give them those belt buckles. So they say, "Tell those guys hi." <laughs>
1: this is really sweet. Yeah, yeah. All right. So we like to finish up with uh, two short segments. Uh, one called "What Ebert Said." This movie is a complete
0: disappointment.
1: He only gave this one two stars. Really? Yeah, which was sort of disappointing. He said, uh, "Bottle Rocket is entertaining if you understand exactly what it is. If you see it as a film made by friends out of the materials presented by their lives." And with a freedom not to push too hard, it's a kind of film, in fact, that a festival like Sundance is ideal for. An audience that knows about the realities of low-budget independent filmmaking will probably find a lot of qualities here that might elude wider audiences. I can't recommend the film. It's too unwound and indulgent. But I have a certain affection for it. And I'm looking forward to whatever Anderson and the Wilsons do next.
2: You know, it was, it was indulgent, but I, I, would, I would gladly indulge it, you know? It's like... Yeah. I. We're about the same age, and uh, I think we've both had sort of the same aspirations. You know, I grew up uh-huh. wanting to make movies, and you sort of in your in the early 90s or late 80s, you become aware of all these people making movies on a budget. You yeah. hear the story about El Mariachi oh, and yeah. uh, the making of that, or you see like a Brothers McMullen where the parents, uh, you know, did the craft service and shot uh-huh. at his house. Uh, but you know, ultimately, ultimately, I didn't like really respond to either one of those movies, and yeah. you know, and and um, there's an old David Spade uh joke where he said, You know, am I supposed to care that this movie costs five thousand dollars to make? Are you going to charge me 20 cents to see it? Right, yeah. <laughs> like it's really good for, t- for five thousand dollars, yeah, like I've Felt like this was a was a movie. Like yeah. it worked. And granted, I mean, they had a budget, but it, you just they just had a voice. The dialogue had a rhythm. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was a real. I don't know. It was a. I, there's nothing else that just connected to me quite like that. Yeah. At the time. Yeah, I
1: mean, it's the it's the launching of a great career, but it wasn't like. Uh... I don't feel like, oh, well, I'll give Bottle Rocket a pass because it was just the okay first movie. Like, it was
2: a great movie. And I'm not going to do, like, I I couldn't do a generational think piece. I don't know if it's something that maybe would speak to someone like you or me that it wouldn't necessarily initially speak to someone like, you know, Roger Ebert. Right. Right. Well, yeah. But yeah. (laughs) I think that probably has something to do with it. Yeah.
1: Uh, And then we finish, Dave, with, Five questions. Okay. What's the first movie you remember seeing in the theater?
2: Um, I think I saw... Well, I think I saw Jaws at the drive-in with my parents. Ooh, good one. Um, and I remember being uh, told to crawl into the back seat of uh-huh. the sedan whenever, like, the water was getting particularly chummed with blood. Uh- <laughs> uh, but I do... I vividly remember um, seeing Star Wars with my parents. Yeah. And I think it was – I remembered seeing the ads and thinking that was interesting. Mm-hmm. You'd see, like, the, the big yellow Star Wars letters, and then you'd see an explosion. Oh, yeah. And uh, – but we went at the behest of my parents. So it must have been something that was already happening because I remember standing in a massive line – Yeah. Uh, in the parking lot of what I want to say was maybe a theater in Toco Hills. I don't know. Well, yeah, there used to be that one theater there. We were going to eat dinner, Italian dinner, uh-huh. and uh, my dad ended up bringing lasagna out to the line in the parking lot. <laughs> Man, what a and, memory. F- and after I saw that movie, the thing I couldn't stop drawing was the little one-eyed snake in the, in the trash compactor uh-huh. scene. That yeah. scene was the one that I kept trying to draw on my notebook yeah uh but yeah yeah that's great yeah that's the one
1: i remember seeing star wars for the first time too so good yeah um
2: first r-rated movie that you saw that's a tough one um i had a friend whose his parents were divorced so he was getting turned on to all this rated r stuff (laughs) yeah early. Yeah. Too early. Yeah. <laughs> like he'd come in and he's like, he would give me the blow by blow of Caddyshack. Right. Like, and then there was a candy bar in the water and they called it duty. Uh-huh. And then this girl took <laughs> her shirt off, you know, and I was like, but you can't even fathom. And you got, I was like, and you got to see this with your dad? No, he, like, right. <laughs> nah, he left, but, <laughs> right. but yeah. he, he walked us in. But, I uh, I remembered seeing a, it's probably rated R. The ratings are all over the map, but uh, depending on you know the year, the decade, yeah, or whatever. Sure. But there was a movie called French Postcards, <laughs> which was about <laughs> a, uh, a, a college-age guy just basically going to Europe to get laid. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, I just remember being told there was a sex scene mm-hmm. with this busty French lass. Yeah, yeah. And I... W- I am watching French postcards in the basement. Uh, My sister is there. There's a couple other kids in the neighborhood. And then the scene happens, and we turn around, and my mom is there. Oh, my God. And she shuts it off Uh and gives us a speech. Mm -hmm. And she'll never hear this, but she was like, The first time I heard the word, fuck. (laughs) I was 27 years old or something, something like that. And we had obviously never heard her say that. Oh, yeah. So it's I very was shocking. Blood just runs cold. Oh. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my God. You know? Uh huh. Uh, but yeah, I had to be French postcard. That's hysterical. Yeah. And no, I didn't get to finish it. Yeah. You know? So. You should one day. I, yeah, it would be worth it. It would be worth, worth it to find that. I, you know, you get little snippets of American Werewolf in London. Uh-huh. You see the guy's hands grow, and you're yeah, like, yeah. I don't want to see more of that. Uh-huh. Why can't I see that? Yeah, that was. I remember there was just a
1: whole run of those um, just sort of teenage sex movies mm-hmm. uh, at the time. Like Porky's, obviously, is the big one.
2: American Virgin. or uh, Last, Last, American Last American Virgin. Virgin? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That was one where... Um, I found my way to Uh seeing that. And I remember there was the one with uh,
1: Joan Collins. It seemed like it always involved a a teenage guy and some, you know, sexy older lady. Yeah, There was one with Joan Collins. I can't remember the name of that one. Oh,
2: Private Lessons was one. There you go. There was was one a little bit later. It was uh, with the guy from Grey's Anatomy, Pizza Boy or Paper Boy or Uh something. Uh, I just saw that on cable and watched like 10 minutes of it. And I was like, I can't believe how poorly made yeah. this is. Uh-huh. Like, like everyone must have been on Coke yeah. in the 80s. And all. Like, no one, <laughs> like, there's not one good or funny moment in it. Yeah. Vic Tabak is in it. Oh, wow. It's, it's terrible. It is, but not terrible in a watchable way. Uh-huh. Like, but I gave it 10 minutes. That's pretty funny. All right, uh, number three, will you walk out of a bad movie? And do you remember doing that? Yes, twice. Okay. Um, uh, once was American Pie, because I was told that that was funny and a callback to those type of movies, uh-huh. and I thought that was terrible. And I felt like I must be a Martian uh-huh. because everyone is loving this and yeah. I hate it. And uh, I'm trying to think if I was dating my I think wife we might at the have been time. a little too old for that one. But it, but it thinking, was, like, but eh. it was terrible. Yeah. I mean, it was. It's bad. It was bad. There was nothing that. I walked out and went. I wasn't gonna walk out, but I walked to to uh, Eyes Wide Shut, which was oh, playing, over. Yeah. and then I was like, "Oh, cool," you know. Which is the
1: I think science has proven it's that the opposite of American Pie. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly. But These the other opposite.
2: ones, the 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 one I love is uh, I went. I liked uh, Pitch Black. And so I went to see the sequel, uh-huh. the, the first sequel, The Chronicles of Riddick, right. which is Vin Diesel uh-huh. just running around in the <laughs> ice, being chased by like some, I don't know, some squid creature, some shit. And, uh, you know, Vin Diesel's like, whoa, 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 you know, <laughs> like yes. his, and, uh, uh, what's her, what's her name? Who is it? Thandie Newton's in it. She plays like some Martian princess or something. Uh-huh. And, uh, she says, I can't remember what she says. Riddick, oh, Riddick is, uh, will come for us. I, I don't remember, but the, someone says, hold your tongue, hold your tongue, Dame Vanga. And as soon as that line was delivered, I remembered looking at, I believe Lisa, my wife was with me at the time. I believe looking at her going, do you like this? Are you liking this? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, she's like, no. No. Not. <laughs> no, we should leave. So we, we get up to leave and, uh, I remember this guy on the aisle, like, I was like, excuse me, excuse me. And he gave me a look like, are you out of your mind? <laughs> Riddick it. is trapped in the <laughs> ice and you're walking out. Yeah. Can you hold it? Uh-huh. You can't hold. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, no, sir, I have my coat. You'll uh, notice. yeah. And I ended up watching, uh, whatever that step for wives. R- remake was right. Went uh, into that one. standing in the aisle with my coat at the exit for an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> watching that with the least interest possible. I think that's generally the accepted
1: practice is if you walk out of a bad movie then god damn it somebody owes you. Yeah. So you mm-hmm. go to another movie right away. Yeah. Uh, do you have any guilty pleasure movies that you can name? A lot of people don't.
2: I'm not above I'm not above watching something uh terrible over something mediocre Okay. Um, certainly it's so rare for me to even watch him like to lock down like a nice hour like two hours of time to watch yeah. something just because we got kids and well, wife really and it. it's just hard to I mean I've got this copy of I think it's called Yee Yee uh, it's a very acclaimed movie But I've had it from Netflix for literally six months. Uh I mean, I could have bought a whole bunch of Yee Yee's for what. Um, So I will occasionally, and I am always on the quest for uh, a dopey, simple comedy. But there just aren't that many out there. Most comedies are just not that funny. Right. Or
1: they're two hours and 20 minutes
2: long. Yeah. I never feel guilty about anything I watch. I don't even watch enough. Yeah. To, to ever feel guilty about it, but um, I would love to find an hour and a half long, just light, breezy aperitif of a movie uh-huh. and have it not be, have them not make a meal out of it. it no movie needs to be two and a half hours long, no, most certainly not comedy. a comedy, yeah. and uh, and they're just, they're hard to find, you mm-hmm. know? I think that's maybe why Super resonated with a lot of people. This was just like a, a fun movie. I saw a little bit of you the other night. Fun, yeah. Fun, breezy. You know, you need those. Uh-huh. Every kid goes through this sexual awakening. Hey, a sex comedy is not bad if it's clever. Yeah. You know. Uh, so, I, I I don't know. I, I I got nothing there, but I'll tell you. I will. I am always on the quest for it. Yeah. I just can't. Um, I just can't lock in for a three hour. You know, whatever. You
1: know what? I'm going to recommend something to you then real quick. It's called The Lovers. Did Mm -hmm. you see that? No. It is not a comedy like a, you know, laugh every second comedy. It's a small little indie, but it's like 94 minutes long. Huh. And it's got uh, Deborah Winger, sort of the return of Deborah Winger and Tracy Letts playing a couple who uh, are married and both cheating uh, on each other with different people. Interesting. And their son comes home for a weekend. It it feels very much like a stage play. I was convinced it was, but it wasn't. But uh, watch The Lovers. I think you'll
2: do that. All right, I'll do
1: it. Very kind of fun, light, sweet movie. All right, and finally, Dave Willis, uh, movie going one-on-one. What is your, uh, when you would get out to the movies, I know you probably don't as much anymore, but what was your sort of routine? Did you sit in the same place? Do you get the same snacks? Do you find that most people generally kind of I'm not willy nilly go to the movies.
2: I'm not really. I when we do go to the movies, I do try to get there for the trailers. Like I'm not to, uh, like for as as late as I've been to so many meetings and important things in my life. <laughs> yeah. It's a little absurd <laughs> that I would insist on seeing the ads beforehand, uh-huh. even when they're available on the internet. Uh, uh there's no, there's certainly no. Uh, Ritual. My wife likes those padded uh, VIP seats, but they only have those for, like, the mega movies. Uh, right. But what happened to Jordan Almonds? They're gone. Oh, are they? I can't find them anywhere, and that is my go-to. Uh-huh. Um, And, yeah, I'll get loose. I'll have a couple of beers. That's a nice development, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and I the mean, a couple IPAs, uh-huh. love it. Yeah. Love that development. Um. <laughs> You know, because, I mean, one time I remember just sneaking a whole six pack into that MST3K uh, oh, movie. Yeah. <laughs> and well, it's a great movie, but. It you had to cough every time made you made it a better. Air, yeah. So that old <laughs> deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember dropping a bottle or two in my day, too, which
2: is easily like the loudest thing that can happen in a right, movie. Right, 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 right. Rolls down the aisle. Yeah. No, I don't have anything sort of. I'm, I'm not too ritualistic about it, but, uh, you know. I don't, I just, uh, obviously I don't want to sit on the front row. But I mean, like we went, the last movie I went to see was It. And we uh-huh. had to leave because our kids were fighting at, be- fighting at home. Right. We had to leave in the middle of It.
1: Oh, because you, you can leave them home now?
2: Well, we, that's, we, no, we can't, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> it proves it. Gotcha. <laughs> like, yeah. we're going to give it another year. Uh-huh. We're going to try, it was an experiment, <laughs> failed. That's pretty good. Yeah. All right, thanks a lot, Dave. Yeah. This is thanks, great. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, that was just wonderful. Uh, Dave is such a good guy and he's so funny and insightful. And I love that we have this shared love of Bottle Rocket. Um, it's always cool when the movie that someone picks and so far that's kind of been the case is a movie that I also love. I'm still waiting for one that I hate because I want to see how that goes. But, uh, it was very nice of Dave to come on over from, uh, his Cartoon Network studio just about, oh, about 10 minutes away. And we, we had a great conversation. That was a lot of fun. Uh, you can support Dave, of course, by watching Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell or Squidbillies, which is still on the air and and running strong. Uh, I think I might even have a small voice part coming up this season on Squidbillies. We'll see. But I did read for it, although not very well. Uh, but we we shall see about that. But thanks to Dave for coming in. And thanks you for listening in. And until next time, for God's sakes, put your shoes on. You do not take your shoes off in a movie theater. Movie Crush is produced, edited, engineered, and scored by Noel Brown from our podcast studio at Pond City Market, Atlanta, Georgia.
0: Welcome to Teach Me Something New, a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Brit Co. I'm your host, Britt Morin. This show is about inspirational thinkers, scientists, artists, and CEOs, and the things they've learned that have transformed their lives. I'm tasking these world-class experts to teach me something new. In less than an hour. Listen to Teach Me Something New on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Every shelter pet is unique. Some love a good game of fetch. Others would rather snuggle together with you on the couch. However, there is one thing that they all have in common. They are all pure love. And right now, millions of pets in shelters and rescues across the country are waiting to be adopted. Did you know that only 44% of dogs and 47% of cats in American homes come from animal shelters and rescue groups? The unique quality of each and every shelter pet adds up to an incredible bond between every shelter pet and every pet's parent. If you're thinking about getting a pet, make sure to visit the shelterpetproject.org, Brought to you by the Ad Council, Maddie's Fund, and the Humane Society of the United States.